High Praise Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. Bible, go to Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to continue this. I started a couple weeks ago on retold Sunday school stories you thought you knew. Uh, how many of you uh, grew up kind of in, going to Sunday school, going to children's church, something like that? Anybody? All right. All right. Do y'all remember flannel graphs or... Uh, y'all remember watching uh, videos of Bible stories or anything like that? A lot of times we got kind of just the real basic idea of what a story was, and they were told to us almost in the same manner uh, that something akin to a, uh, a nursery rhyme or a fable would be told, and it was almost like it was just a morality tale of something, and it was just a recounting of events. <laughs> but how many know that that these stories in the Old Testament, these accounts in the Old Testament, that they were given for our example. That's what, that's what we're told in the New Testament, that the things of old were given for our example. That means there was something inside of this for you. Say, it's for me. There's something inside of this for you, not just so you have head knowledge or some Bible story uh, that you have committed to your memory. Uh, and, and it's really kind of funny if you actually go back and you watch some of those things or if you even read some of the stories, that, and we'll probably see some of these tonight, some of the details we leave out of our kids' versions of the stories are really fascinating uh, because it's like, let's just be real. If, if, they, if they made some biblically accurate uh, stuff. Most of it would not be uh, uh, family friendly in the cinema, in the sense of what we would define it, because there's some pretty uh, graphic stuff that happens. People getting killed and all kind of wild stuff going on. They were wild and back in the Old Testament doing all kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, the reality is, there's a lot in these stories, and there's a lot for us. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the children of Israel in the Red Sea. Uh, and I want to look at another classic story today. Uh, and I want to look at three Hebrew young men and the fiery furnace. To set a little bit of the stage before we get into this, the story takes place in Babylon where the Jews are living as exiles. In Daniel chapter 1, the king requests some of the youth of the nobility to be sent to live in the palace. The characters of this story are all part of that group of youth. And you can go read about all that in Daniel 1. There's really some cool stuff in there too. Uh, and in Daniel 1.7, we see that the, the three Jews we're going to talk about, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which aren't their real names actually, uh, that's, their, that's their Babylonian names. That was their slave names that were given to them. Their names are actually Hananiah. Azariah and Mishael, uh, which is a whole other thing altogether. It's really a whole other message because uh, names in, in, in their culture meant a lot more than names mean to most people in our culture today. You didn't name somebody something because it was cute, right? You named somebody something because you were saying something over them, and every time you said their name, you were declaring something over them. That's why God had Abraham change his name from Abram to Abraham, because every time he said Abraham, he was making a declaration over his life, and every time somebody called him Abraham, there was a prophetic proclamation that was being over his life. So they changed their name from uh, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah to uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's really interesting that the meanings of the Babylonian names are irrelevant 
eerily similar to the meanings of the Hebrew names, except they replaced the one true God with the gods that they worshipped in their names. Because the enemy, this this whole other message, it's not my message I'm preaching tonight, but there's there's truth here. The enemy will always try to give you an identity that's really close to who God called you to be, but just serving a different master. He will always try to put a different identity on you. He'll try to put a slave identity and a slave name in your life, a slave identity that is very similar to what God has called you to do, but just serving the wrong person. Why do you think that half of the pop stars in, 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 in music today started in the church with an anointing on their life, and somewhere along the road it got twisted to serve a different master than the one that they were actually called to serve? Those people, those the talents and giftings that they have, they didn't didn't come because they sold their soul to the devil. Their talents and giftings were given by God to glorify him, and they've used them for an incorrect purpose. How many people are there? I'm already preaching. I'm not even to the message today. How many people are there in the world today, in our culture, that are serving the enemy whenever they were called to serve God, and they think they're successful because they find success in the eyes of man, but what they're really doing is glorifying the enemy rather than glorifying the son that they're called to glorify. We have to be careful to guard your identity and guard what you are called to do and make sure you're doing it for the right one. Amen. Now let's actually get to the message. Daniel 3. Let's read this. We're going to read this whole chapter, so it's a lot of reading, uh, but I want you to see all of it. I want to read all of it. I don't want you just to recall back on what you have from, uh, from, from uh, Sunday school, but I want to actually read this. It says this. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So for a second, what's really happening is Nebuchadnezzar saying, we're going to have a worship service and you're going to worship the image that I've created. We know that you're used to worship. We, we know, Hebrews, that you're used to worshiping the Lord with musical instruments. Now you're going to worship me in the same manner that you used to worship the God because I am your God now. That's what he's really doing. I'm your God now. The image that I've created is your God. Verse 6, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. 7, So at that time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 8, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. I love that because they're just immediately already sucking up to him and trying to get, O king, live forever. 
You, O king, made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the, firing, of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Notice this. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They had gained notoriety, reputation, and favor in the midst of serving in the system of an enemy. Because God will bless faithfulness even in the midst of uncertainty and turmoil and living in an oppressor. That's why, listen, listen, that's why, I'm going to put this for you. That's why talks of recession and decline and all that shouldn't freak you out. Come on, somebody. Because we don't operate under the system of the world. And even in the system of the world, God will still cause elevation and promotion and blessing to be released into the hands of the faithful, even in the midst of adverse situations and circumstances. Even in the midst when things aren't going the way that you thought they would go, God will still find ways to bless you in the midst of your enemies. That's why the, the psalmist said that you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. The reality is nothing can stop the blessing and favor of God. Man cannot stop the favor of God because it is God who gives it, not man. Man cannot stop the blessing of God because it is God who gives it, not man. So no matter what the system might say, no matter what the Babylonian system might say and do, it will not stop you because you are anointed. Because you are blessed. Because you're favored. Everything else can be going crazy around you and you can still be blessed. Did you know that in the Great Depression there were people who became millionaires overnight? There were people that flourished in the midst of the Great Recession of 2008. Don't sell God short and think just because things aren't going well in the way that you thought they were going to go that it's going to keep God from blessing you because his blessing is bigger than the circumstances of culture. Amen. So, let me get back. There are certain Jews, verse 12, certain Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? 15. Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good, but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. This is so gutsy, guys. We have no need to answer you. In other words, I don't have to answer to you is what they're saying. They're saying, you're not my boss. You're not my king. You're not my ruler. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you've set up. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. I wonder why. 
See, you got to read the Bible. You can't just read the Bible, right? We read it in this flowery, pristine, clean, almost removing people's humanity to an extent when we read it. And you have to understand, Nebuchadnezzar's mad at these guys. He goes, y'all are going to bow and worship. I'm going to kill you. What do you say to the guy? We ain't, we ain't going to answer you, man. We ain't got to do what you say. And our God that we serve, he'll deliver us from you, dude. I mean, there's like some attitude in this. If you actually read it, Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury. And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men who were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Get this, verse 22. This is one of the things we miss. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fire is so hot that the men that Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, take them up and throw them in, it killed those dudes. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, this is important. Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And this is a very important line that people miss. And the fourth, and the form of the fourth, get this, is like the Son of God. It is like the Son of God. Odd statement. We'll talk about it in a minute. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. He's changed his tune a lot. Come out. Come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, kings, counselors gathered together. And they saw these men of whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not even on them. The smell of fire was not even on them. And now listen, I've got a, this is how crazy that is. I've got a, I've got a smoker at my house. Any, any, any other men or ladies, y'all got like a smoker at your house that you smoke meat on? Anybody? A couple of y'all? All right. If I go out and I use my smoker and I'm making, you know, a pork butt or some ribs or something like that on it, and I'm around that thing for like two or three minutes. The smell of smoke lives on you. I've got certain shirts that I wear whenever I'm cooking because they just like permanently have the smell of smoke ingrained in them. Smells like grandpa's house. My siblings, we joke, we say that grandpa's house when we were growing up smelled like chlorine and, and, and smoked meat because... Gramps was always cooking. He had a pool in his backyard, and we swam in the pool, and Gramps cooked meat. So the Grandpa's house to us smelled like chlorine and smoked meat. Uh, and uh, so or maybe you had a bonfire or something. You ever been to a bonfire, and you get around, and it's smoky, and you get in the car, and you go, I smell like smoke. And that's just from being around it. These guys were in it, and it says the smell of smoke. So not even on them. Not even on them. 
verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel. Notice their angel is capitalized. It's not actually up there, but I'm using NKJV, guys. In the NKJV, it's capitalized angel. He sent his angel. I've lost my spot. What verse am I in? 28. Sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language that speaks to anything, anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. And their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Stop there. Now, it's a lot of scripture. I know it's a lot of stuff. I know I broke several times to talk about things. But what does this really mean to us? What is God saying to us in the midst of this? This is not just a, even though you can read it and be astonished at the miracles, the Lord doesn't have you read this just to be astonished at the miracles. We read this because there is something that is being said to you in the middle of it. That whenever this was written, that God knew, the writer didn't know, Daniel didn't know, but God knows that thousands of years later, there's going to be some people in Panama City, Florida, who are going to read this on, what is it, what is it November, is it the 30th? November 30th, 2022, and that God needs to say something to them through this account. What does it mean for us? Listen, if there's one thing it means more than anything else, it means this. When you live faithfully, God is there when you need him the most. That whenever you live faithfully, God is there when you need him the most. Once again, we just read it. Nebuchadnezzar has this golden, golden idol created. Decree goes out, worship. And if you don't worship my image... There's dire consequences for you. Imagine for a moment being in this spot. It would be easy in this situation to feel totally and completely abandoned by God. Let's just be real. That's what a lot of people would feel. Because I know people that have felt abandoned by God for a lot less dire situation than do this or we're going to kill you. It's people that feel abandoned by God for a lot smaller circumstances. And there's a lot of us, probably some of us in this room, that have faced things and felt abandoned by God for less than what Daniel, excuse me, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going through in this situation. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you're just sitting there going, man, like, God, where are you right now? Like, I, I need you in this moment. I needed you to show up before the idol was built. I needed you to, like, show up to Nebuchadnezzar while he was building the idol and say, hey, man, bad idea, and just scare him so he doesn't do this and he believes in you, and we don't have to go through this whole mess. That would have been really nice, God, if you would have shown up a little bit earlier. But he doesn't. He shows up when he shows up. But think about them. Their cities have been destroyed. They're living in exile. A court Jew living in Babylonian court with no true power to his name, 
He's told to worship the idol that represents the country that has the strength to defeat them. That has defeated them. So now they have this choice. And in the midst of a difficult situation, they have a choice to make. Because this is one of the things that we see in this. I want you to hear this. Pressure will always reveal what's inside of you. Pressure will always reveal what's inside of you. It is easy, it is easy to worship and talk about how great God is and breakthrough and freedom and dance in church and shout when everything's going your way, when every prayer that you've prayed has been answered, where you just got the promotion and the raise, where your, where your marriage is just doing great, where your kids are serving God and they're behaving and they're getting straight A's. It's easy to worship in the midst of those situations. But what comes out of you when there's pressure applied? What comes out of you when things don't go your way? If you want to really know what's inside of somebody, don't put them in a situation where things are going their way. Put them in a situation where things aren't going their way and watch how they respond. Because pressure will always reveal what's inside of you. Some of y'all have heard us talk about this before. I should have grabbed one. But if I had a, if I had a ketchup bottle up here tonight and I took that bottle and I squeezed it, what's going to come out of that bottle? Hopefully ketchup. If not... The label was lying. Oh, there's a, we'll talk about that in a minute. If I have a bottle of mustard and I squeeze it, what's going to come out? Mustard. If I've got some, some, some Hershey's chocolate syrup and I squeeze it, what's going to come out? Choc hopefully chocolate syrup. Y'all see making, making y'all hungry? That's a weird combination. Hopefully it's not making you too hungry. It'd be kind of weird. So whatever is inside of you when pressure is applied is what comes out. The true measure of our lives is not how we talk and act when things go right. It's how do we talk and act when things are not going the way we anticipated. How do we talk and act when there are adverse circumstances that are pressing us on every side? Can I say it this way? Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get real, we're gonna get in business a little bit. How do you react whenever correction is brought to you? Because it's real easy to talk about how great your leadership is when your leadership talks about how great you are. But how do you react when there's some correction, godly correction? I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about somebody cutting you into pieces. But I'm saying like, hey, little, like a chiropractic, a spiritual chiropractic adjustment brought in your life. What comes out of you in the midst of that? Because what's inside of people always comes out when pressure is applied. I've talked about it before, but I've talked about it numerous times, but whenever Josiah was born, it was circumstances that we did not expect, anticipate, and it's not anything that we ever thought we would walk through in our entire life. And I've, I, I, I've talked after, probably about a week after he was born, things were kind of stabilizing, getting to the point we were getting ready to go home. I remember Reed, my, you know, Reed, Reed my, my, my dear friend, he came to me and said, I just want you to know that Watching you and Miranda walk through this whole situation ministered to us in such a way because 
you lived through this hell and you didn't falter and you believed through it all. And I told people, I've told people after I said, in that moment, it was really a test for us to find out. I'm not saying God caused it, don't misunderstand me. But in the midst of it, in the midst of it, it was a test of our own hearts to see what was going to come out of us in the middle of it. Right? You know one question I never asked when we went through that? God, why did you do this to us? God, why? It's a whole other message, but the, the road of why really will lead you nowhere when faced with tough situations. It'll only lead to heartache and hurt. You got to change why into what you know. And in the middle of that, even when things didn't look good, we still knew what God had said. And we knew regardless of what happened and what we were seeing. Matter of fact, for a moment, I tried to, I, won't, I, won't, I don't want to be graphic, but I was so in knots all that night. We were praying, believing, we were standing. Even when things turned, we still had a battle to, to a hill to climb, if you will. And uh, I, I woke up and, you know, I literally, I remember laying on that chair. And that chair is hard enough to sleep on anyways. And dads who have been in the hospital, y'all know what I'm talking about. That thing is, a, it is an ancient torture device that was given for sleeping. And it's the worst. We went to Orlando. When we were in Orlando, we went over. We had several people who had kids whenever they were, you know, part of the church. And we would go to always see them in the hospital whenever they had their baby. And we went in one. And, and I go in. And, and I was like, this guy's name was Javier. I was like, Javier, where are you sleeping? He goes, oh, it's right here. And he pulls like a Murphy bed, like out of the wall with like a, you know, Serta mattress on it and like three pillows. And I'm like, this is not fair because I slept on a chair with a flat pillow and the chair moved around and the thing opens up and it's already hard enough to sleep on. But with everything we were going through, I remember just laying there at night and I just, I prayed in the Holy Ghost until I fell asleep because the only way I could get peace was just to pray. So I just prayed until I fell asleep. That's what I do. And I woke up the next morning, I'm not trying to be, to be gross or graphic, but I woke up the next morning and I was still so anxious that the first thing I did when I woke up is I just vomited in, in the room, in the sink, because I was just so anxious. And in that moment, doubt wanted to try to grab me. And I just said, you know what? We know what God said. Because when pressure is on, what's inside of you really will come out. Put people in high-pressure situations, and you will find out what's really inside of them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a high-pressure situation, and what is inside of them really came out. There are a lot of people in the world today that they walk in the church, that they walk around wearing the label of faithful, loyal, Christian, but when the pressure is on, something else comes out of them. They compromise. They bow their knee, right? They go the other way. Now, listen, I'm... I'm, I'm, if you're that person who something different has come out of you when pressure is on, I'm not condemning you, but I'm here encouraging you to remain faithful and allow what God has actually put inside of you to come out when pressure is on. These men were put under tremendous pressure. When the squeeze was on, faithfulness is what came out of them. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire out of your hand, O King, let him deliver us. What a powerful statement. Reality is this, we have to choose faithfulness every day. When I say that God will show up when you're faithful, the, the prerequisite to him showing up is your faithfulness. We all have choices that we make every day. 
And we are frequently presented with choices to take the easy road or the faithful road. And generally, the faithful road is not the easy road. Let's just be real. Let's be real. Generally, the faithful road is not the easy road. The faithful road involves things like forgiveness. The faithful road involves things like mercy. The faithful road involves things like loving your enemy. The faithful road involves blessing people who have cursed you. Oh, bless God. We, we all, we, everybody wants to be Elisha. Nobody wants to be Jesus. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know, what they, know not what they do. And Elisha, when they made fun of him for being bald, called down some bears to kill some kids. And they did. She bears, it says. Said that they came, that there, was, there was children that said, go on up, you bald head. And Elisha said, that's enough. Bears, get them. That's, that's what we want to be. We want to call down the bears. But Jesus showed us a more excellent way to forgive your enemies, to bless those who spitefully curse you and use you. I don't talk about the bears more, Pastor. That's what I'm feeling. I'm not talking about this forgiveness stuff. We have the road of faithfulness or the road of ease. My dad always told me this growing up, and if you've heard him preach, there's a good chance you've heard him say this. You will never go wrong by doing what's right. You will never go wrong by doing what's right. A good man swears to his own hurt. And something that has been instilled in me was instilled in me at a young age, and I know that my grandpa instilled it in my dad, and we're instilling it in our children now is this, that even if everybody else does what's wrong, you do what's right. Even if it hurts you, you do what's right. You do what's honorable. Even when it's difficult, you do what's right. Even when your flesh screams at you, you do what's right. And if you don't do the right thing in a moment, you go back and you make it right. You do what's right. Because we all miss the mark. I'm not going to sit here and say, I've always done what's right and I've never messed up. That would be a lie and it would be called messing up. We've all, how many messed up before? You know the best thing you can do when you mess up? Make it right. Do whatever you can do to make it right. Because that's honor. That's living, living honorably. That's living a biblical way. The reality is this, like I said, every day we have choices, right and wrong, sin and holiness, life and death. Deuteronomy 30 says this. I've said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. You have a choice. Don't blame God for your bad decisions. Must have been the will of God. It wasn't the will of God for you to act like a fool. It was the will of God for you to do what was right. Are y'all with me? Be faithful and choose the right door even when it isn't easy, even when it's difficult, even when it looks like the faithful choice is going to hurt you. You make the correct choice. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew what the right choice was. Don't bow. And they knew that even making the right choice had the potential to cost them their lives, and they made the right choice anyway. They made the right choice anyway. And this is the reality. They were faithful. And faithfulness always causes his presence to manifest. We're coming too close. Y'all hang with me for a few minutes. At the end of the story, they've just told this Powerful man, the most powerful man in their world. 
that they would not bow, and he orders them to be killed. Now, kings are not used to being told no. As a matter of fact, kings are just not told no, ever, certainly then, and even to this day. As a general rule, leaders aren't told no, not in the political geosphere especially. But they get told no, they get mad. He got mad, and he's going to make an example of these men. Ties them up, throws them in the fire. Kills the dudes who were throwing them in the fire because it's so hot, so out of control. Suddenly, though, they're not tied up, and there's not three, there's four. And once again, Nebuchadnezzar says this, the fourth, the form of the fourth, the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Who is the Son of God? That's a question. Who is the Son of God? Come, Y'all should know this. Away in a manger. <laughs> Who's the Son of God? Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar says that the form of the fourth is of the Son of God. There's a theological term for this I'm going to give you. This is not something I made up. This is a real theological term that's accepted. Not some sort of fringe thing. It's a theological term called Christophany. Say Christophany. Christophany. It's a fun word, isn't it? Christophany. It's a theological term which means the manifestation, I mean, it's, essentially is this. It is the manifestation of Christ before the incarnation. Okay? Before he comes to earth in human form, in the manger, there are forms in the Old Testament of what is called Christophany, which is the manifestation of Christ before his incarnation. And because there was something different about the form of the fourth in the fire. And what, what, what Nebuchadnezzar says is he is as the form of the Son of God. He later calls him an angel, but it's with a capital A because it actually denotes deity, not just another angel. Uh, I could give you a couple different instances of this. Uh, the captain uh, of the armies of heaven with, with Joshua, when Joshua bows uh, uh, down, the, the captain of the armies of heaven, that is generally accepted as a uh, form of Christophany. Uh, whenever Jacob wrestles the angel of the Lord, that is generally considered a form of Christophany. These are manifestations of Jesus before the incarnation. Y'all are some of y'all looking at me like I'm sort of, sort of heretic. I promise this is a normal thought in theology. This isn't something far out. Okay, you may not have heard it before. It's been accepted for thousands of years in the church. It's a revealing of Christ. What what can we learn? Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Their faithfulness, I want you to hear this really good. Their faithfulness releases the manifestation of Jesus outside of time in which he was to be manifested. Let me say it again. Their faithfulness causes the manifestation of Jesus outside of the time of which he was even ordained to be manifested. Let me put it this way to you. God will show up for you even outside of normal circumstances and situations whenever you're faithful. Whenever you have a relationship, he'll show up even when it's not time for him yet. Let me give you another. This isn't an example of Christophany, but it's an example of the same kind of uh, thought process. Jesus at the wedding of Cana in Galilee, right? Mary comes to him and says, Jesus, they're out of wine at the feast. I need you to do something. And Jesus tells Mary what? Woman, mistake. Calling your wife woman. Don't advise it. I mean, it's not your wife, your mother, I'm sorry. That's even worse. 
calling your mother woman. He says, woman, it is not my time yet. And Mary just looks, she just ignores what Jesus, it's really fascinating because this is like mama mode 3000. She just looks at the master of the feast and says, hey, do what he tells you to do. And Jesus goes, all right, mom. And Jesus turns the water into wine, his first miracle. Jesus goes from it's not my time yet to having his first miraculous manifestation. Why? Based upon relationship that has been formed, he shows up again outside of an appointed time in order to do something for somebody that he had been faithful to him because moms are faithful to their kids. She had been faithful to him, and then whenever she needed Jesus, he showed, he said, it ain't time yet. She said, do what he says. Do what he says. Because whenever you're faithful, he'll show up for you. There's a lot of people who want him to show up when they haven't first been faithful. The people who aren't faithful and then cry out for him when they're in trouble. You've got to be faithful if you want him to show up. Now listen, he will still show up sometimes in his mercy, but a surefire way to guarantee he shows up, be faithful. Be faithful. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is telling us. That's what Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah is telling us, is be faithful, and whenever the, whenever the chips are down and things look like they aren't going your way, and it looks like everything's about to overcome you, and it looks like you are in the absolute worst spot, and it cannot get any worse, suddenly he's going to show up. He's going to show up. And Jesus doesn't just say, think about, think about how silly this is in a lot of ways. How ridiculous it is. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's, it's, it's ludicrous what God does. Because he doesn't just save their bodies. He saves their clothes. It's not like the clothes burned off of them, but they stayed okay. God, God preserved their clothes in the midst of the furnace. Because he'll, he'll preserve everything about you whenever you're faithful. He'll bless everything about you when you're faithful. He'll make sure nothing can touch you whenever you're faithful. Whenever you live faithfully, he shows up on your behalf. There's one, if, there's, if there's one attribute that I like want to impart in my kids more than anything else, it's faithfulness. Really, I'm serious. If I can impart faithfulness in them, everything else is going to fall into place. All the other stuff is just going to hit like dominoes. If I can just get them faithful first. It's kind of like this. If you're just faithful to church, God starts taking care of some of the questions you have. And he'll, he'll start manifesting, right, the answers to your problems. Because God honors faithfulness. God honors faithfulness. He always honors faithfulness. He will honor you when you're faithful. And he will show up when it seems it's at the worst. When you're faithful. This is what it comes down to. Come on. Uh, God moves miraculously in your life when you're faithful to him. If you want miracles, be faithful. If you want breakthrough, be faithful. You want healing, be faithful. You're believing for the new job, be faithful. Be faithful at the job you're at. <laughs> Be faithful to the Lord. Because faithfulness doesn't just apply. Everything, the Bible says, is everything that you do, do it as unto the Lord. So I'm saying be faithful just in everything. 
Be faithful in everything. Be faithful to your spouse. We're going to try that one again. Because that was concerning. <laughs> Be faithful to your spouse. That was a little bit better. Be faithful to your children. Be faithful to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be faithful to your church. Be faithful to your employer. Even if they're not saved, even if they don't know God, even if they're giving you a hard time, you be, you be faithful to them as you're faithful unto the Lord. You show me somebody who's unfaithful in any area of their life, and I'll show you someone who has the potential to be unfaithful in every area in their life. Faithful. And then watch what God does in your life whenever you're faithful. Stand up to your feet. Do you get something out of this tonight? Please lift your hands to the Lord tonight. Come on, lift your hands where you're at. Lift your hands where you're at. Just pray me say, Father God, I thank you tonight that in my life, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful to you, Lord. I'm going to be faithful to everything that you put my hand to do. I'm going to be faithful with my family. I'm going to be faithful in my church. I'm going to be faithful in everything in my life, Lord. And as I'm faithful, you're going to show up. You're going to move in power. You're going to move in might. You're going to move in the miraculous as I'm faithful to you. I thank you tonight for every way that you've blessed me, for every way that you've kept me. But I thank you, God, that my greatest days are ahead, that my greatest blessing is still ahead, that my greatest miracle is still ahead. I thank you for it tonight in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says amen. Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.